0: Hi, I'm Vivek Kartha, and welcome to Deconstructed. Every episode, we're discussing the future of the world's largest asset class, real estate, through the eyes of the people who live and breathe it. Thank you for joining us, and let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Workspace. Workspace has built a better way to manage real estate without all the clicks. With a suite of modern, intuitive products for commercial real estate operators, Workspace reduces the friction between assets, data, and people, allowing CRE professionals to streamline all their daily operations across property management, asset management, and beyond. Learn more at www.goworkspace.com. We're here today with Brett Abrams, the Global Head of Portfolio Administration at Cushman and Wayfield. Brett, thanks for joining us.
1: Great to be here, Vivek. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I want to get right into it. It has been a very strange year for commercial real estate. Sure has. Start by just helping the audience get their head around how you and your team have gotten your heads around what's happened, what's happening, and then your term future.
1: Yeah, so, so in March of last year, obviously when everything shut down, our clients came to us scrambling. It was actually startling to see the state of our clients' data across the board. Some of them were our customers. Some of them actually weren't our customers. But the truth is that many clients weren't data-ready for something like the global pandemic they didn't necessarily have all of their uh, real estate assets cataloged they weren't able to get in contact with their landlords they didn't know who was running their specific sites i mean it was really startling to see just the state of disarray of a lot of our clients data and the clients that actually did have good data were much quicker to be able to act to shut down offices to understand you know which offices have the best cleaning and sanitation provisions which offices are we able to get out of or exit early in case of of economic distress and things like that so my team and for those that don't know what portfolio administration is is in the business of data it's in the business of capturing data out of leases putting them in databases helping our clients manage their landlords manage their assets um pay rents things like that. So the first couple of months of the pandemic our team was really focused on helping our clients just deal with their everyday space needs and deal with what was in their leases and how could they react. You know, and it got really murky quite honestly, for the first couple of months, things like force measure clauses, right? Where cities were requiring businesses to shut down, especially retail locations. Our clients were coming to us for help a lot on those. And then near the end of last year, as we got through sort of the reactionary state, then we moved into, okay, how do we turn this into what is a long-term business continuity plan, right? Data has become central now to all of our clients trying to figure out, how do we deal with this again in the future? It may not be a global pandemic, but the idea of global events affecting our portfolio is no longer a what if, it's a when. So almost all of our clients are coming to us trying to figure out how how are we more ready next time?
0: I want to pick up on something you said that you were surprised by the state of readiness and data and uh, controls that were in place. Why do you think that wasn't important prior to the pandemic? So for someone listening to this, you know, having my data in order, knowing what's happening at all my various locations, that seems like something just in the daily operating of a business one would need. Why wasn't it there?
1: Yeah, I'd equate it to people that don't have their closets cleaned out on a daily basis, right? It's you want to do it, you know that it's important, but the truth is strategy transactions growth expansion there's only so much bandwidth that clients have and the data was likely good enough to make those decisions off of but it wasn't good enough to deal with the nuance and details of what a global pandemic will do to a portfolio so it's really a question of how much time and energy and money has been invested into getting that data to a really really good place
0: take us forward a year or two from now Do you see the world and the pendulum sort of swinging back to, well, now we're back into transactions and that's what rules the day and data quality goes down? Or do you think this is more of a permanent change in how people appreciate the services your team offers, but ultimately the data that you're bringing to them?
1: Yeah, I think it's a permanent change. I think, you know, people are talking across the globe around what's going to be different and what's gonna be the same. This is one of those things that I actually do think is going to be a permanent change. Um, Having data to be reactionary within the context of your portfolio is now part of business continuity planning for every Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 company. It's going to be critical, It's it's a marginal fee compared to things like transaction management or workplace strategy or portfolio strategy things like that, that that i think clients long term are going to invest and they see the benefit of the data now the key is this data now feeds into so many different dashboards or things that overlay on top of it bringing in third-party market data looking for new opportunities that i think we're going to enter a phase where that data is crucial to day-to-day business operations and covid might have pushed it along faster than it, than it was going before
0: Do you see a difference in the type of client, whether it's industry, geography, size, that changes their desire and understanding of both the problem and the need for that data? I
1: think it's more about the maturity of the company. So we've got clients that have almost 20,000 assets. We have clients that have seven assets and they both see values in our services. It's the client's, that want everything in house, or the, or the customers that think that we can simply do that and don't see the value in an outsourced service that I think were really caught off guard at the beginning of the year with just the quality of their data, right? Being able to pull landlord information, contact all of your landlords, right? That should be a two-button exercise. For a lot of customers, it wasn't. Understanding where are my early options on my leases was not a two-button exercise for a lot of our customers. And and to me, it's the question of um, taking a look at what do you want to do within the context of a real estate organization in your company? versus what do you want to partner with someone that really has the size and the scale to be able to do it better than you can? I do think it's about the maturity of the real estate organization and the company um, more than anything within an industry vertical or a size vertical or, or a geographic location.
0: Talking about two clicks to data and getting to information more quickly, you brought me right to technology. Perfect. Tell us a little bit about over your decade-plus of experience in commercial real estate, what is your take and appreciation for what technology works and has worked and what is too far away from being useful or practical? How do you manage that? Yeah,
1: it's really interesting because... We thought about technology in a number of different ways. There's technology systems that get you through the day to day, right? That would be a lease administration system. Um, There's technology systems that can allow you to do things more efficiently. So that might be a machine learning system. Like how do you you have a machine read a lease and abstract information as opposed to a human? And then there's the long-term question, which is when you take a look at things like machine learning, is it possible that that technology might even get completely overlooked in five or 10 years and we're leasing in a completely digital way? So there's all these different stages and theories, and I don't know how the future is gonna pan out, but what I do know, is that for technology at least within the lease admin context we really try to focus on betting on sure things things that are going to make us more accurate or more efficient over the next few years as opposed to making huge investments and things that might eventually pan out so if you think about it within the context of a transaction today right now Leases are still done, old school PDF, somebody signs them, somebody scans them, and then we read them and we put them into a system. Within the next couple of years, there's probably a machine that can do that reading for us. 10 years from now, it's entirely possible that brokers, landlords, and occupiers do it in a completely digital manner where they're using web-based systems or systems that tie together that automatically import data directly from the transaction into a database. So the machine learning component might get completely overlooked within the next couple of years. So it's a question of how much investment do you make in the tools that may get transformed when you sort of really start to think about it long term.
0: At the risk of sounding naive, I've secured student loans digitally, I've signed leases digitally, I've made large transactions digitally for a long time. Why are we still in this paper signing and scanning world for commercial real estate, what what gets?
1: Yeah, commercial real estate leases are, are probably about a thousand times more complicated than any student loan or even any home mortgage, right? You're talking about every clause you can think of that comes with buildings, especially ones in central business districts, retail leases, you've got things that are tied to revenue or percentage of sales. You can think about industrial leases and data center leases having their own caveats in terms of things like power and water supplies and things like that so the answer is there is no standard lease there is no standard commercial real estate lease and because of that there's no standard technology that allows for digitization yet yet is the key word but at the scale and the rate that the industry is changing i very much believe that you know pick your number but within the next decade or so I, I do think that that is something that could potentially change. It may not go 100% digital the way that you do everything else, but even if it's 70 or 80% of what you do is digital, and, and you still have to sign the document at the end, that's that's a big change compared to where we're at now.
0: For other leaders of teams in the industry listening to this, how do you stay abreast of what's out there uh, in that, especially in that middle group you're talking about gaining efficiency? without getting distracted and spending a lot of your time in wild goose chases with vendors that are, you know, ahead of the time or the tech isn't there yet. How are you staying informed and aware but managing your time?
1: Yeah, you've got to be picky, but but what I will say is even those vendors that take you on the wild goose chase, as long as you're asking the right questions, you're going to learn something from them. And it might be that you learn that that's not going to be a technology for us, or that's not going to be a path that we go down. But you do have to listen to them, and you do have to try and experiment. And there's a portion of my time and, and, and my P&L, my budget, that we certainly put towards testing those technologies, because one of them might be the right one. or might. Be cause efficiencies for the next couple of years. Well, one that we're using and looking at right now that is, that is tough is, is translation software. You know, you can type whatever you want into Google and get it translated, you know, at the split of a hair. But right now when it comes to commercial real estate leases in some of these regions, especially in, in China and India and Indonesia and things like that, where there's just, there's language barriers that that are interpreted differently by different machines and different people. That's some of the complexity that I'm hoping some of the technology can help to solve pretty immediately because, as you know, the more and more companies are going global. And especially with COVID, talent can really reside anywhere so long as they've got the right requisite skills. So what we are very much seeing is that the need for better translation software, automated translation software is out there. And I don't think anybody's cornered that market yet, not even Google.
0: Yeah, I imagine translating a complex legal clause on page 47 of a document is different than asking for a cup of water. <laughs>
1: That's right. Very, very different, very, very different needs.
0: Last question on this topic. So, you mentioned that you and the team have managed to invest to some degree in software and you've got some budget carved out and you test things. Tell me about the other side of that. So, something I often hear. Uh, when we speak to to leaders at firms, is there's a huge risk of investing in something and managing, spending time with something that ends up not being it. And how do I explain that and justify that to an industry, leaders, people who aren't familiar or aren't tech native? What do you say to them? So I'd say that
1: the biggest investment that you probably make is going to be in your time as opposed to going for big capital requests. Uh, at least at least the companies I have worked for have believed in a partnership method as opposed to an acquisition method. Regardless, the investment in some way, shape, or form is going to pay off in terms of your own knowledge and ability to speak and understand and look for efficiencies. You know, as, as we even looked, and I, I know I've talked a good amount today about machine learning, Right. We've essentially gone down that path a couple of times, seen the results, seen the accuracy levels and gone uh, and not gone down that path the way some of our competitors have. And it's helped us long term. It's helped us develop where, where do we want to focus on training? Where do we want to focus on human interaction and things like that? Much more than let's go sink a couple million dollars into getting this right when, when we know it may not ever be the right long term solution for us. So it's certainly trial by fire. But um, if you're not at least listening and spending some of your time and some of your money on, on some of these emerging technologies, I think you're going to get passed up.
0: Well, you mentioned it briefly when you talked about the globalization of talent or what COVID has done for that. For some of our younger or earlier career listeners out there, from your seat, what do you think the industry needs more of?
1: So we talked a little bit about globalization. I think that we need more people willing to push more boundaries just across the board. That could be in terms of the talent that we're hiring, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That could be, where do you put a shared service center in the world? Where are emerging markets when it comes to great education and great structural stability? That could be the types of clients that we bring on board and how do we do knowledge sharing between us, whether it's roundtables or you know, putting our clients together. What we really need more of is connectivity just across the board. Um, if we're continuing to focus on single transactions, big headquarters deals, things like that, then our relationships will be singular. I think if we put our clients together and we put our talent together in a way that really sparks ideas, sparks better ways of doing things, that's how you really build sticky relationships and relationships that grow is that you provide more than just your core service. You provide new ideas and new ways of doing things that might help your clients in a way that they just hadn't thought of before. So within the industry, I think think better connectivity across the board.
0: On our way out, I've got to ask one last question. A quick one. You manage a large international footprint of locations. What's your best guess for when you're going to hop on your next international business flight?
1: Uh, I think um, I'm hoping in Q4 I can get back to Budapest or Manila. Um, That is is the goal. Um, Otherwise, it'll probably be Q1 of 2022. I think I'll probably fly domestically in Q3, but internationally probably not till Q4.
0: I look forward to that day. Me too. Thank you, Brett. Perfect. appreciate it. Appreciate your time. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. And as always, a very special thank you to our guests. We'll be back soon. So please subscribe to Deconstructed on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. More details can be found at www.goworkspace.com forward slash podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Workspace. Workspace has built a better way to manage real estate without all the clicks. With a suite of modern, intuitive products for commercial real estate operators, Workspace reduces the friction between assets, data, and people, allowing CRE professionals to streamline all their daily operations across property management, asset management, and beyond. Learn more at www dot workspace dot com.